What does the infinitely large teach us about the intimately small and personal? Conversely, what does the intimately small teach us about the infinite? (laughs) Welcome to This Plus That. It's a show about connecting the seemingly unconnectable and why it matters. My name is Brandy and I'm your host. In this conversation, I talk with Kendra Kruger about the intersections of infinity plus nuance. She says the infinite is the singular and mathematics can prove it. Math also has something to say about understanding both ourselves and the vast nature of the universe, which means it might even help us heal our deepest, most polarizing worldviews without completely letting go of our boundaries or falling into some sort of kumbaya unity that erases our individual needs or beliefs. In other words, math can show us how to hold more reality while maintaining our individual difference. Kendra is an intersectional scientist, educator, creator, and woman of color on many edges. Raised by artists, educated as an electrical engineer, and trained in anti-oppression facilitation, theater, mindfulness, and permaculture. Her work and research is a convergence of these many waters. Fueled by divine curiosity, she seeks to inspire deeper exploration of ourselves and our universe. Her pedagogy advocates that science can be a transformative tool for our external and internal world, if analytical and intuitive skills can be combined. She founded For Love and Science in 2014 as a platform to teach transformative science at universities, in K-12 schools, and in community spaces and gardens throughout the country. She has also curated and produced multimedia installations, exhibitions, and performances, and currently works at CUNY's Advanced Science Research Center, where she founded the Community Sensor Lab, as a space for DIY community science and advocacy. In this conversation, we discuss a lot of cool things like affording others the same level of nuance and subtlety we afford to ourselves. Ooh, challenging. (laughs) Uh, Integrating bits and pieces of our beliefs and experiences, even from seemingly contradictory places in order to create a deeper understanding of ourselves and nature. What Kendra felt was missing or what was limited in the sciences and the scientific paradigm. How several mathematical constructs including the idea of infinity, help her hold nuance and complexity, but how boundaries help keep us from insanity when complexity becomes too much, the tensions between action and radical acceptance, and how following a path of resonance, I loved that, or what feels good, helps us determine our capacity to engage, what history, the Ouroboros, and the solar system say about spirals of change and progress, Technology, not as all good or all evil, but learning to look at it more generatively. And her work to bring science into the hands of more people and the voices of more people into science, as well as how her parents' work continues to influence her. So enjoy this fascinating conversation with one of my absolute favorite minds on the planet on the intersections of infinity plus nuance with Kendra Kruger. Gloria Anzaldúa was this Chicana lesbian activist and writer who passed away in 2004, uh, 2004, who wrote a lot about the idea of borders. So being a part of multiple cultures and realities and how borders aren't just divides we set up between us, like between us and them or here and there, but they also exist within ourselves. And that a type of mestiza consciousness, as she calls it, a third way of thinking, goes beyond opposition 
and is all about inclusion rather than exclusion and embraces am ambiguity and contradiction. And she wrote a book in 1987 called Borderlands, La Frontera, the new mestiza. And there's a quote I would love to kick us off with that she says in that book, which is, in perceiving conflicting information and points of view, La Mestiza is subjected to a swamping of her psychological borders. She has discovered that she can't hold concepts or ideas in rigid boundaries. The borders and walls that are supposed to keep the undesirable ideas out are entrenched habits and patterns of behavior. These habits and patterns are the enemy within. Rigidity means death. The new mestiza copes by developing a tolerance for contradictions, a tolerance for ambiguity. She has a plural personality. She operates in a pluralistic mode. Nothing is thrust out, the good, the bad, and the ugly, nothing rejected, nothing abandoned. Not only does she sustain contradictions, she turns the ambivalence into something else. Because the future depends on the breaking down of paradigms. It depends on the straddling of two or more cultures. By creating new mytho a new mythos, that is, a change in the way we perceive reality, the way we see ourselves, and the ways we behave. And so I originally met you because you co-facilitated this summer-long series uh, on the intersections of permaculture and social justice. And then I continued to sort of follow separate workshops that you were doing. One of those was something like uh, love, entropy, and social justice. And so I know that you have just always been someone from the beginning of knowing you, and I'm sure well before my time in your life, that has connected these seemingly unconnectable things. And so I would love to start out by just asking these days, like what are some contradictions you feel like you're holding in your own life? Yeah, contradictions. <laughs> Always, always, there's always contradictions um, and paradoxes that I've, I find really fascinating in the world around us. I think, I think there's more probably paradoxes and, and contradictions than we often realize because we like to create these systems of organizing the way that we think. And recently, I think because conversations in the world have become so polarized in terms of, of worldviews, worldviews about one thing or another and so extreme. I've been thinking so much about, well, how do we hold all of these extreme views? And, and what are other patterns that exist in nature or science and mathematics that kind of mimic these same, same behaviors or uh, structures of of taking things that are on maybe different sides of of a spectrum and putting them into a larger story where they all make sense or there's where, where you can take a little bit from from everything and what has come up for me as I've sort of grappled with this idea of like e extreme views and and a lot of of blame that comes up uh, of, of, of how we think other people may be doing something wrong in their lives or living their lives in a way that we don't agree with and we want to reform them or change them. Mm -hmm. But I often think of, of, of whenever I, whenever I'm tempted to go into that way of thinking, I have to sort of 
turn it on myself and be like, well, what is it within me maybe that is like, that is activating that anger or frustration? And what pattern is it within me that I feel like, you know, I've, I, I try to repress or try to convert within myself because of, you know, whatever kind of upbringing or cultural programming I've gone through. And in the process of me trying to figure out how to hold all of these different perspectives and all of the shame within myself and the ways that I may shame and judge other people, mm-hmm. I started to think about like, well, there's, 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 there's so much more nuance, I think, mm-hmm. that exists out in the world than we have the, the ability right now to understand or to, to process. And mm-hmm. what I mean by nuance is like, we like to create like these black and white stories, right. About, um, how somebody is or how some system works or how we are and what our identity is like and put them into these boxes. But in reality, there's, there's a lot more details and complexity and, Um, and that there's more contradictions that are within all of us. And I think we tend to think that other people are, have really straightforward and they make these decisions based on these really straightforward points of view, but all of us are full of contradictions and have difficulty making decisions in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think just like that level of, of, nuance, that level of subtlety in how we choose to frame our lives and frame our worldviews and frame our decisions is, is a, is a way of differentiation. It's a way of breaking things into like smaller and smaller pieces. Kind of, if you think of like a, a fractal, Mm -hmm. uh, a shape or a branch of a tree that, you know, you have one common thread, but then that breaks off into smaller threads and they're still part of the same arm, but they have a little more level of detail that's involved Mm -hmm. and a little, little bit more level of complexity. And Mm -hmm. I think if we start to understand there's more complexity in the world, then we may not have as much, as much, um, frustration or, or impatience with, with, Mm. with all of the different worldviews and, and conflicting ideas that exist out, out in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and this is related to so many different um, systems of thinking, you know, we could, Mm. you could apply it to like politics, of course, is like the easy one, people on the left or the right, but then also things of like thinking about our own ways of thinking, being more rational or being more intuitive, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, I, there, you know, our, 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 the past, you know, thousand years or whatever that has been based on Western, uh, Western thinking and the rise of, of rationalism in, um, in classical philosophy has, has embedded us in a lot of rationalism. But now there's more of a movement toward like, how do we tune back into our intuitive way of decision-making and knowing that there's another level beyond our problem solve, that there's there's other ways of problem solving that aren't just logically breaking things down. Mm -hmm. But even that can go to an extreme where we sort of lose all of our logic and are just sort of way up in the cloud. So 
how do we find a level of, of mixing these two things together and finding our own path where we can take a little bits from our rational side and our intuitive side and blend them together. The mm-hmm. same goes with, with uh, the worldviews of, of science and spirituality. You know, right. how can we bring bring pieces from both of these, these systems of thinking that might assist us in understanding ourselves, understanding nature, understanding the world around us and other people and how things work in general. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a couple of things. One was this idea of spotting patterns, right? So uh, sort of maybe drawing on ideas of like pattern languages which at least I know through like Christopher Alexander, but that was something that we talked about in the social permaculture course is how do you take patterns from uh, permaculture and then apply those then to social movements. Uh, But I also remember in class, you know, when you were introducing yourself, hearing some of your story around coming from the the sciences, right? And I think uh, electrical engineering, is that correct? Yes. Right. Yeah. And and I remember you talking about some part of your story that was sort of going, you know, you just mentioned feeling frustrated, frustrated when we're seeing ways that other people are behaving that don't really fit our version of what's right or wrong. And um, I remember you talking about sort of there was something about what you were learning in science that also didn't quite fit to expand all of the complexity that you felt was real about the way the world worked. And so <laughs> sort of a big segue, but I, I wanted to hear a little bit if you have some of that story to tell and just your experience of coming from electrical engineering and what felt like you wanted to bust out of that. Like what, what led you to permaculture? What led you to sort of expand those ideas beyond what science told you was sort of the right way to research or the right way to just generally have a lens in the world? What I thought had become a limitation in thinking in the scientific paradigm was was bringing more of ourselves into it. Mm -hmm. There is, there is, you know, there's such an emphasis on being objective, of Mm -hmm. having, of creating an objective opinion, which it just became more and more more and more obvious to me that it was kind of impossible to create an objective perspective because there's there's so much there's so much bias that that unintentionally drips down into the work that we do as scientists and through the the way that even data is interpreted or algorithms are written that you can't mm-hmm. ever have a completely objective set of data or information. Right. right. Like the, the, the hypothesis you're even proposing comes through your own lens of subjectivity. And, and then also sort of what you alluded to a second ago with science versus spirituality as an example of these, you know, seemingly contradictory ideas that I think science also tends to prioritize or preference observable reality. So there's this part about spirituality that's intangible and not directly observable in a lot of cases. And so, you know, what are we missing in not having that kind of different lens? Yeah, I think that 
so much of science is rooted in creating this observe from the observed perspective, but also from repeatable reality. Mm. And that's a really interesting or like a limited, a limit, a limiting view, I think also in terms that brings us back to this idea of nuance and subtlety, Mm -hmm. because we haven't really created a system of analysis or understanding for, for both higher levels of complexity, but also for things that, that sort of happen at not a rate that a human can perceive of, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or that we recognize as being a repeatable or recordable even piece of information or data. And I think with that, that level of, of like, of subtlety comes back into this idea of like, how do we figure out how to hold things that don't fit in systems that are straightforward? I I also, the level, what I really want to want to dive into more is with this idea of complexity and nuance a framework that has helped me to kind of understand and dive into it a little bit more is, is the mathematical construct of in infinity. Ooh, yeah. T- tell me more. Yeah. So I, I like the idea, as I was saying, how, when we, when we break into to higher levels of complexity, like with that branch that's going into smaller and smaller branches, mm-hmm. that idea of fractals. Yes. That, that differentiation, that breaking things into smaller and smaller pieces is, is something that, that scientists back in the 14, 1500s, uh, mathematicians were, were looking at how to break things down into smaller and smaller pieces in order to do to, to do certain types of calculations that were more related to um, looking at how the, the planets were revolving around mm-hmm. uh, the sun. But what came out of that is this idea of, of, of breaking things into smaller and smaller pieces in order to see how a larger sum or how a, a larger pattern was emerging. Mm-hmm. A cool idea of infinity is that you can use it to approximate how different functions or shapes or systems are going to act in the future. Mm-hmm. And this method of doing approximations, you can think about uh, if you have a circle and you draw a square within the circle, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, will give you a really, a really loose approximation that a square could almost be a circle. But if mm-hmm. you keep adding sides to that square, so, you know, you add a fi- an extra side, you get a, you get a mm-hmm. pentagon, mm-hmm. you got another side, you get a hexagon. And you can kind of imagine that that shape inside the circle is starting to get closer and closer to being like the circle. Right. And, and as you get almost infinitely an infinite number of sides, it effectively becomes the circle. Right. And this idea come comes out of um, also there's a great book called Flatland mm-hmm. uh, that talks about shapes that live in a two-dimensional plane. Yeah. And there's a whole social construct based on how many sides the shapes have. And yeah. And 
it's 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 pretty t- terrible in terms of like sexism because like the women are are like straight lines and they're they're perceived as being like violent dunces because they just poke and they can like kill people <laughs> and they have like no sense of direction and then the like um religious figures are the the circles cuz they're like the infinitely sided like most divine uh-huh but I, I bring this up because something that I, I just in terms of looking at more and more nuance and more and more complexity, I see it as like, how do we how, how do we as individuals and in our in our own worldviews, like start to have more and more sides, have have more and more like mm. levels of differentiation and levels of 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 nuance that are able to to hold more of of the reality that exists. And so another element of of infinity and differentiation is evolution. So one of the systems of of how life changes and grows in this planet is that things are, are sort of always adapting right and we're getting new species as time moves on and they're all of the each level of these species are growing in complexity mm-hmm. growing you know in both in terms of our adaptability in terms of our consciousness as our, our pro problem solving that these are all things that are growing and and our 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 um cells are dividing and we're becoming more and more complex in our biology but also complex in our ways of thinking, I think now as humans as well. And so that level of, of, of continuing to break into higher and higher, I don't want to say orders of thinking, but just like mm-hmm. higher levels of, of complexity. Yeah. So where, where do you find that sort of middle space between that idea of the infinite and the nuance, right? So how maybe do you take those concepts both from mathematics or science? And then how do both of those seemingly contradictory ways of being get applied for you in like a practical social level, even in your own Mm -hmm. relationships or, or how you might think collectively about those things? Looking at the tension between nuance and infinity, for me, those those two things are almost kind of the, the same thing. Um, mm. And because, well, I think the, the, the tension actually is, is, is that infinity is also the same thing as unity in a lot of ways, because as most things move towards infinity, they become singular mm. again, mm. like everything the, there's there's theories that like even even um, in cosmology and astrophysics that you know the universe is is moving in higher and higher complexity, but eventually it's like all gonna come back to one, and everything is like contained in in one thing, uh, which you know has a lot of spiritual um, connotations to it as well of thinking that you know everything is one, we're all one, and yet all uniquely different and Mm -hmm. unique in Mm -hmm. the ways that the universe is expressing itself through and continuing to find new ways of expressing and experiencing itself. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the element 
that I bring into my own life and worldview. And when I find like contradictions within myself of, of even, let's say, I'm trying to figure out both, you know, how, how can I, I feel passionately about that, like there's issues in the world that need to change, you know, that there's problems in the world. But at the same time, I kind of also think that everything is, is, is just the way that it's going to be, you know, and, and is like also divinely perfect in its, in its way that things are happening. But, you know, those are huge contradictions of, of how do we accept what is and be in, in, in a complete like acceptance or whether it's a more of a, a enlightened acceptance or a philosophical nihilism. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's almost, I was going to say, yeah, that's a kind of spiritual, like, um, it's almost like, uh, holding again, these seemingly, uh, you know, disparate things that are free will and also agency, like right. that, that, that we're sort of on this weird path that's just going to happen, but also within it have total agency to make decisions within that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had a big existential crisis about that, like in, in the middle of the past year, because I was, you know, during isolation of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I, I was actually becoming much more comfortable with, um, with being by myself and being selfish, you know, being mm. more selfish in terms of my time and comforting myself with material things, which I, I coming out of being uh, an activist and a permaculturalist, I mm-hmm. like always sort of, you know, tried to be zero waste and low carbon footprint. But after moving back to New York, it, it becomes sort of a necessity to self-soothe through whatever means possible in order to deal with like the, the inundation of overstimulation all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a real existential challenge within myself with like where I was like, how do I figure out how to comfort and, and soothe myself? And, and yet still be a steward of the earth and a steward right. of, um, of justice and of wanting to change. And, and again, I, I came to this point of like, well, like if I have to, and, and then, you know, still with, with the conflict of, of feeling like, you know, that my work was never enough and mm. that I was always like, not doing the best that I could, you know, those, all, all of those self-doubts that are always kind of floating around with that of like, of, of in a meditation coming to a place of having to accept, like, I'm always just going to be like, whatever I do is going to be the best I can do. And I just need to Mm -hmm. like accept where I'm at and accept like, and just choose to trust that I'm doing the best that I can. And it will Mm -hmm. be received in in any way that it, it, it comes out, but then I had to, I suddenly like realized, well, what is that? If I have to give myself this like radical acceptance, what does that mean to like give the world like a radical acceptance? Like yeah. all of, all of yeah. the toxic things that we say are out there and whether it's, whether it's people or corporations, uh, that we like to, we like to villainize, uh, 
how do we give that some kind of like radical acceptance and say, well, you know, that's just like those, those, those roles almost are always going to be played out, you know, maybe like we're all playing out these roles, but somehow like, you know, there, there is, there, there, there is some sort of, uh, place for it in a system in on kind of like an ecological system Mm. and then in that place also of 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 finding coming back to myself and finding the the radical acceptance of whatever I'm I just am and maybe like I'm perfectly fine and divinely perfect in my imperfection I still had to like get out of bed you know (laughs) It was like, okay, if I'm going to choose to like, to like live right then and like accept, then I have to persist, you know, Mm -hmm. then I have to like participate and and participate and make decisions and feed myself and come back into action. So Mm -hmm. that juxtaposition between action and acceptance and is becomes and becomes like a a difficulty so yeah again I think of it as just you know finding the ways that those spaces can blend together and that sometimes we're in action and sometimes we're in being and we have to find we have to use our discernment and decision making to determine when is the right time to be to be in each and when is it the right time to use this way of thinking or that way of thinking or this system or that system and that though is a is a process of of learning our own ways of navigating yeah it brings up so many things for me that are quite personal and one is you know just the example of you know, I, when I came up with the idea for this podcast, it really was just like, I have always had a fascination with combining two really weird things. You know, I I think I was in another workshop of yours sometime where you had us take post-it notes and put them on the wall and then just sort of take them from one category and place them in another category so that we might create some topic around like the intersections of uh, dance and chemical engineering or something. (laughs) And, um, and I said chemical and I, like, I know that you are in electrical, but like engineering is on the brain. Um, but yeah, so like, I've always really enjoyed that practice. I've just, for whatever reason, it's just always been something that's been really fascinating to me. And I was like, oh, that would be really cool to like invite people onto a podcast to talk about those, those things that also tend to intersect with all these other things about my experience of being human and having to work in the world, you know, that some, a lot of times the people who are doing that mashing have had very meandering careers and not necessarily, not necessarily linear paths. And that's really meaningful to me and talking to people who have navigated that sort of thing. Um, but it really quickly became like, I really quickly realized that underneath it all, what it was actually doing for me was starting to heal some of the contradictions and traumas Mm. in myself that I'd experienced. Mm. And a lot of those actually are from organizing community and like the ideas that I had learned inside of organizing community. And even today, and this is really going to date us. So we're having this conversation well before it will air, but you know, 
whatever your, uh, your values are around abortion, we're having this conversation within the week of when SB8 happened in Texas. And I had a friend texting me about it today. And I just sort of wrote her back. Like one of the things I said was sort of like, it felt to me, and I don't think I voiced this to her, but I had this internal sense that it was like, this is inevitable. Like the train is moving. And, you know, my, I, I came from evangelical culture when I was, a, you know, much younger and in Texas, I grew up in Dallas. So this is like a very personal, mm-hmm. like I remember being in prayer meetings about abortion, praying mm-hmm. for unborn children. And so now being nearly 40 and having gone through years of organizing culture and, and all these other things, I sort of found myself seeing myself text that to her, you know, that something that felt very, this is happening. The story, the story on both sides, if you're going to call it just two sides has been happening for over 20 years. I mean, because I, 20 years ago was sitting in those meetings. So this narrative of who we all are and the roles that we play has been going on for decades. And I sort of thought like, I mean, this is just sort of, we're, we're on a train and, and I, uh, wherever you think that train is leading, I just had an internal like, okay, Brandy, does that mean, you know, it's the inevitable sort of point you come to when you care about doing, making sure that you're playing a role and participating and going like, well, then do you just sit on your hands? You know, like you're like, well, you know, it's, it's like, like you said, the nihilism, like, well, we're just all going that direction. And then I'm like, of course, because of all of my, like the voices in my head around organizing community, then I have these instant responses that are like, but what about ac- accountability? And what about silence is violence? And like all of those things, right? And so how do you hold, and this is, you know, rhetorical, you can feel free to answer it, but I, I just was going through that tension today of mm-hmm. where do I speak up? Where do I not? do I only believe in one-on-one or like small group sorts of change or do I believe in collective change? Do I, you know, and where do I fit in in both the like individual conversations and the larger conversation and all of those things, you know, so super, all of those tensions are super relevant to me right now and something I experienced today. (sighs) Yeah. I, that it, what, what, that brings up for me thinking about thinking about how sometimes the contradictions within us all when when different triggering events may happen and how we've all sort of well many of us have gone through like different um different spaces of framing, framing the world. Mm -hmm. And, and there's so many, again, so many different worldviews of like how to engage with the world. And I think in this way of, of learning to, learning to see, like learning to have a level of, of skepticism almost in in our own way in our own ways of thinking and of like where we've learned things and mm. and what feelings come up during those like ways of 
engaging. I think about two things. So first, I think we all have to figure out what our capacity is for dealing with complex issues and learning how to build capacity. Um, mm -hmm. And capacity for me, I mean, is a very emotional thing. Um, mm. it, 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 it starts out being more mental of like, okay, there's these ideas, these things, how do I understand? How do I make decisions? What kind of information? is coming in and like, what are my past ways of, of like operating in the scenario and what do I think is right and wrong, whether it's, you know, engaging and having conversations and putting things on social media and like being part of this, this dialogue or, um, or observing and listening and, mm -hmm. and like, again, identifying like, okay, where am I what is my capacity at this time and moment? It's always different for us and as has many different factors. And I've thought a lot about emotional capacity to deal with complexity. Like when I did that, the used to do those talks on entropy, I kind of had this obsession with, um, with how do we widen ourselves like more and more to open ourselves up to just like the craziness of the world and the universe and like that we just needed to open our arms and embrace it all. Mm. But I, I very quickly experienced kind of a, a, a total like mental breakdown by trying to do that because it was just too much. You can't like chaos and entropy are dangerous things to, <laughs> to dive headfirst without having a good tool set. Mm. And I had to go backwards, like, like literally in order to avoid like dropping over the edge of my, my own sanity, come back and reground and realize that you have to have boundaries. You have to have containers to, mm. you have to have a foundation to always keep yourself moored or else if you dive into the, the, the complexity and the, the, the voices of, of contradictions that can arise in an infinite way, then you, you can get lost. But if you have that mooring, you can know you always have a place to, to come back to. And mm -hmm. that place of like, of, of finding um, a, a, a self, a level of, of, solidness um mm. is necessary before you start to blur the edges mm. i think you know and that's all it's thinking it's kind of like comparing in terms of of like the particle and the wave you mm -hmm. know like it's actually you know they say that light is both a particle a solid thing that has edges and it's also this wavy thing mm -hmm. that has no edges and is totally undefined but it's actually both like that's right. what light it's a it's particle wave it's actually a mixture of the two it's not right that's like space slash time one or the like other sp mm -hmm. space it's both yeah and i think you know that we we have to learn when again we need to have both of these things within us a solidness and and a amorphousness in order to move 
and to hold and have capacity for these sorts of things. But but boundaries and like a lot of the conversations happening right now in mindfulness and social justice of like, how do we have these, these boundaries to engage with things? And I recently read something that Adrienne Marie Brown wrote about, about uh, loving, loving people from a distance. <laughs> so that like, we can have this capacity and, and level of acceptance and to understand, you know, people may have different opinions from us. And how do we just, we don't have to like engage with them necessarily, but we can still hold them like in existence. They don't need to be like, erased from reality we can't you know the old phrase goes like throw throw the baby out with the bath water or I feel like the mm-hmm. newer analogy is just yeet baby yeet <laughs> everybody <Right>. yeet everyone <laughs> but 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 still like we can keep it at keep things I think that's another like juxtaposition you know we don't need everything in our space that there's there's different zones uh that that of of uh, in permaculture that there's like the right right zone different um zones of nature and closeness uh, I was gonna what, say even that earlier because like one of the outer rings of that isn't that observation like so that there are periods of observation before you engage also yeah, in the the levels of the cycles of su- succession, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, and and in the zones, like the the zone that's on the furthest border is the wild, is the true wildness, and the closer you come to your internal zone is like your personal space, mm-hmm. and you can take those zones all the way like into your body and into your mental space and into your spiritual space. So, how you know we have to navigate and learn how to say like, nope, that vibe isn't going to be in this zone. Like you can stay out in that zone, but it doesn't mean I have to like come for you necessarily. Right. And it also doesn't mean that you have to sort of, uh, going back to uh, applying your entropy analogy directly. So it's not like you just lose your mind because you're, you're like, I have to accept everyone and I have to be everyone's best friend. And we just all have to get along. That's not quite it. It's there are boundaries and negotiations within that, that you can go, yes, I hold like a, a space for everyone to have their complexity and nuance, but it doesn't mean that they have to be within my close zones. Right. And another element of that, of how to navigate like complexity and build levels of, of capacity or compassion, I would say, um, or figuring out like what our role is and what our space or what our zone is in that, in that, in 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 the mixture of the wilds. Mm-hmm. I I find another tool is is to figure out like following a path of resonance. So like what feels good, you know mm-hmm. what 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 and and you know feels good is is also a a relative term, but sure. you know for me it's, it's on all of the levels of like emotional, intellectual, uh, physical, you know, like where, where am I in those zones where all the things are sort of like firing together mm-hmm. and like, and that, you know, bring coming back to, uh, the story that you mentioned of, of with, with the issue when there's like some kind of like social issue that's going on and like how do we engage and how do we choose to like navigate through that and like is it 
do we go on a big platform or is it okay? Like the little things that we do. I think it's, again, like we find what spaces that we can come into that feel, feel generative, that, that mm-hmm. feel expansive where we mm-hmm. have a sense of, of, of not contracting or like being crushing, but, and even like, you know, and, and, and also understanding and, and having a level of nuanced understanding to know when even like difficult emotions are still expansive emotions, mm-hmm. you know, when we right. can conflict can be generative. Yeah. And we, when we experience sadness or, or pain and that, and, and knowing when it's, when it goes too far. Right. Right. And cause I think that's another thing, like with narratives of, of leaning into discomfort, um, that can be, that can be harmful, even in, in some of our, um, more radical spaces that, that there, there can be, a, it's a slippery slope, I hate that phrase, but, <laughs> but it's a, it, it can be, it can go too far. Anything can go too far. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that, you know, everything is on a spectrum again. And like, yeah. how do we find again, the softerness of things where it's like, yeah. you don't have to like take everything and maybe, you know, I also have this phrase that it's like the relative over the absolute, but not absolutely. <laughs> so like everything is like a relational thing, like everything is relative, but also sometimes like you want to be extreme, you know, so I'm not, it's like, I'm not a, I'm not an absolute relative. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I feel like the sort of unintentional theme that's coming up for me about this podcast is sort of like, a it's like a, I don't want to say anti, cause I don't like taking, taking a position that's like against, I want to be, you know, like four things that like the world I want to see, but, uh, it is sort of uh, like against fundamentalism, fundamentalism, like just, a those being at any extreme of any polarity or on any side, you know, it can be a wonky dangerous place to be. Well, I think also though, again, another contradiction is that even in like, that there's something to learn from, from fun fundamentalist perspectives yep. too. Like sometimes we need to be, we need the, like a boundary, you know, that's going to be like a really hard line, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we experiment, you know, I think it's just like you, life is, is a big experiment of figuring out um, these different levels of, of subtleties, these different levels of complexities and, and experimenting with when, when we use some of this and when we use some of that in, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in our ways of operating. Right. Life is, well, I was going to say more an art than a science, but it's also a science. It's both. <laughs> it's all the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to also though, go back, you mentioned in sort of prep for this, uh, the idea of the Ouroboros and how history might have something to teach us about infinity. That's the thing, because I think one thing that really helps me when I'm considering like my own capacities or how I engage or, uh, don't engage in any sort of daily participation of what's going on in the world. Uh, I feel like looking back at more ancient traditions and seeing sort of, you know, what they might have to teach us also. So I think that might be an interesting, I might, I want to know what you have to say about that. (laughs) Like either personal or just at a conceptual level about what history has to teach us about, um, the idea of infinity. 
Yeah, so Ouroboros, if that's the right way to say it or not, um, is is identified by this this pictogram of a of a dragon eating its own tail. So mm-hmm. the the as the story goes, it comes out of Greek um, mythology or um, philosophy. Yet I I believe that you can see in a lot of even older ancient cultures, the same sort of mm-hmm. uh, pictogram um, that of of either like some animal eating itself or this of a circle in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. You know, I think going back is, to your mathematical thing earlier. Yeah, and and so I think many many of of these ancient cultures and even um indigenous cultures that exist today that still uh still utilize these worldviews and belief systems have a a big emphasis in in cycles in in the cyclical nature of 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 life and patterns that occur uh which is which are I mean, just thinking about stories and the way that stories and songs uh, hold these messages about the land or about about living and 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 uh, lessons about living. Um, that the ways that these patterns are embedded in in the culture and these cycl- cyclical ways of, of thinking is. I think also sometimes misinterpreted misinterpreted as being kind of like well I think it can can not misinterpreted but I think again there's another there's another level of nuance to the cycle and to the circle which is evident in 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 again some indigenous and ancient cultures is that not things that don't just move in a in a circle and where you you come back to the place that you started even though that can be connected to the same idea of infinity of that everything is moving to greater and greater differentiation yet it all comes back to a singularity or the source um, mm-hmm. at the at the end so you can think about the the cycle like that but the movement i like to um I like to imagine with how things are moving right now is more of a spiral. So the spiral of that, it still has a cyclical circular sort of motion, Mm -hmm. but with each iteration, you're actually at a higher level. You're at a Mm -hmm. different point than, than what you, what, where you started. And as you move in these, these cycles, you do repeat patterns and go through different, go through sort of the same similar lessons over and over again but with each time there's something a little bit different that we learn there's mm-hmm. a different iteration uh and a different color or a different perspective that we're moving through it another layer of the onion you could think of that we're mm-hmm. peeling through and i think of this really generationally also you know mm-hmm. with each generation uh of of our ancestors and our descendants that we go through, we we all peel back another layer of understanding, another level of nuance, of subtlety, of complexity. Um, and this relates to another mathematical 
um, construct that is um, approximations that are based on infinite series. Hmm. So you can think of uh, like if you have, let's say you've got like a graph with a wiggly line on it. Um, if you if you put a if you have a a straight line that goes on top of it to approximate that wiggly line, let's say you're creating a computer program mm-hmm. and you say, okay, I want you to make an equation that, how can I write an equation that will produce this wiggly line? Mm. And the simplest way, the first step is to say, okay, like Y equals X, which is just like a straight line. So that's like the first order of the equation. Mm -hmm. But then you can add another another, um, order, which would be X squared. So then an X squared looks like a parabola. So then you're starting to, when you add the X squared plus the X, you get kind of like a, a, a loop, um, a curve in Mm. your, in your graph. Mm -hmm. And then when you add, you can do plus X cubed, then you get two wiggles in your, in your line. And then you add X four, and then you get three wiggles in your line, the higher orders of, of exponents. So we started with X and then we had X squared, X cubed, and you can Mm -hmm. basically say you want to add all the way to infinity so that you have X, X to the infinity basically. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not that, but N and N becomes infinity. Mm -hmm. And so the closer you get to infinity, the closer your approximation will be. And I don't know if, if, if like the analogy is that like, as with each generation, we add like another exponent or another level of like subtlety or complexity to like engage with the world around us or a higher level of like capacity to engage uh-huh. with the complexity around us. Um, and, and whether that's like us, us approaching the approximation of like divine perfection. I don't think that's exactly it, but, but somehow like coming to, coming to some, just, you know, the, the evolution of things I think is just, we can move, we can think about it, that there's like some mathematics um, that can Mm -hmm. tell some interesting stories or analogies about these things. Yeah. And I, I mean, hearing that even is just such a medicine to me because you know, again, sort of the climate of everything that's going on right now. And I feel like you could play me saying that sentence at any point in history and it would be relevant, <laughs> you know, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but, uh, to your point about <laughs> cyclical things, I think the uh, looking at how people respond in moments and going, I can't believe that we're still X, you know, that we're going through this again. I thought about this in the seventies or the forties mm-hmm. or whatever. And the idea, I think it's such a medicine to anyone listening to hear that because it's while I think it can be hard to hear that you might be in these loops over and over <laughs> again, that there's at least something in there and going like it, it is an, uh, still some sort of ascension, you know, whether it's to divine perfection or not, it doesn't really matter. But the idea that it, we are not just stuck in the same loop over and over again like you said, like I, like you think about it more like a spiral and less like a circle where a circle is just flat, repeating the same things over and over again, maybe the, and you know, mathematicians might call me on that, <laughs> but, uh, but at least in a spiral, there's some sort of like actual movement out of the former repetition, 
Yeah, and and another another great imagery to think about the spiral and that we're we're never really in the same place. We can even think about the earth um, moving around the sun. We think of as, you know, the sun being stationary and that the earth is just always moving in the same loop around the sun. But actually the sun is like hurtling through space as well. So the, if you track like the movement of the planets moving around the sun from a different perspective outside of our solar system, it actually will look like this corkscrew spiral where Ugh. like the earth is like actually spiraling through space as the sun is like being catapulted through the galaxy. <laughs> almost gave me goosebumps. That's so amazing. <laughs> so everything is, is always in, in, in motion. Yeah. Um, well, given all of those things, what do you feel like really drives your work? Yeah, I think that I think that my work is always driven by curiosity, first of all, of like connecting these these different worlds and patterns mm-hmm. and seeing and finding disparate things and being like, how are these things actually similar or how do we hold these things in the same space? Yeah. Whether it be like science and spirituality. And then and then how do we create spaces where we can talk about these things more and how do we create more blending of ideas and blending of voices and blending of perspectives so the community sensor lab was was developed kind of out of this idea of of how you know I worked at this research center at CUNY's advanced science research center and I've been in academic spaces, you know, for a lot of my life and worked in industry. And yet there's still such a, a, a boundary between those spaces and like public conversations that are happening. And, mm-hmm. and both in two ways that scientists can become, uh, can become removed from issues that are happening in their local communities. And mm-hmm people in communities that don't have access to uh, to or haven't been trained in these traditional ways of of scientific methodology mm-hmm. aren't don't have uh, decision making power really is with 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 what their perspectives of how the world is changing or whether they have their own analysis of that because they don't mm-hmm. have, this background or this data that is going to support it in a way that it's going to be, be able to change something about the, about their condition. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind the community sensor lab is how do we blend these, these spaces together and blend these needs together where we can bring tools and access of science out into communities so they can be utilized, but also the voices of people into the scientific community so that it can help guide and maneuver where the scientific paradigm is going. And and not just in terms of of data and this should be researched and that should be researched, but also again, the personal experience and the personal relationships. Because Mm -hmm. as I spoke to before, you know, I feel like we can't do science in this in a vacuum. We have to be more realistic that our science is not objective and it's it doesn't make it a bad mm. thing 
it's just something that we need mm-hmm. to acknowledge, something that we need to be aware of mm-hmm. that we we are humans and we have perspectives and we have biases. And how do we, again, like learn how to bring other perspectives into these conversations and open up our perspectives and have more, more ways of, of understanding and holding complexity that, that we may not have been able to do before. So the larger idea yeah. behind this is to start to create spaces and conversations between different communities that can get can grow more complexity but also more resonance at the same time and figure out like what Mm -hmm. where can we go like we and I think even even touching back to like how do we learn from our ancestors and the past and histories and we can't get too wrapped up in that either like we need, yes, we should go back and, and take lessons from, from our ancestors and look at technologies that were utilized in the past, but we also can't go all the way back. You know, we don't, we don't want to live in the past. Uh, We want to bring both from the future. Like I went through my own existential crisis with technology where I became super anti-technology for a while after being an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be like, all you know, just make everything yeah. with my hands. <laughs> yeah. When Wendell, Wendell Berry did that pretty well for me. Just, just go back to the land, turn off your technology, write everything with a pencil. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, that, that's like not a, a, a generative solution either, you know, because there's, there's some, there is like so many good things in, that have come out of our tech technical revolution and industrial as much as you know there's bad things too it's like how do we take the good things and and utilize those and bring them into in into mixture with the past ways as well yeah I I think you were the first person who taught me a different way to think about technology interestingly because I remember being in the social permaculture course and you know as soon as I said you know, that thing about Wendell Berry and write everything with a pencil. And I thought, well, a pencil is also a exactly. type of technology. That was that was a new innovation yes. at a point in time. Uh, and so it's not like we're being actually anti-technology. It's a type of technology. So thinking about technology in a way that's like, what is a, a tool that allows us to do something? Like a spoon is a type of way of eating. So that's as much a technology as the internet or new software or whatever. Right. The case we, may be. We, we can't, um, again villainize technology as as just these things that are going to take over um but they're all they're tools for us and like part of our level of like extending ourselves um extending our like mandible <laughs> or like uh, our limbs out out further but even uh-huh. just like in our consciousness in different ways you know now tools of of mindfulness which are not on new technologies, but old technologies uh, are mental technologies and emotional technologies that we use to, to convert and to transform our ideas and our Mm -hmm. emotional well-being Mm -hmm. and our energetic well-being. Those are technologies as well. And, and I think of just like pattern in itself as one of the original technologies of the universe of like storing Mm. a an archetype or a shape 
and how it it it, it that repeatable pattern and that ways that it there's a memory almost within these different mm. iterations and evolutions of nature is 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 a technology in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna um, repeat a thing that I repeat far too often, which is a love for the movie Arrival and this concept that she hits on, where she says, you know, language can be either a weapon or a tool. And it's really more about learning how to wield that. And that the end of that is not the exact quote, but she does say it can be a weapon or a tool. And so I feel like often when we're talking about these technologies, like language is a type of technology and, um, you know, like what's more important is to yeah ask in what ways is it being a weapon? How is it being weaponized against people? And, um, how is it actually being a tool? Um, so I love that. And I, I, I'm remembering now also that, uh, I think far in the past when I had probably posted something online because we follow each other about arrival, yes. that you are also oh, a geeky uh, arrival I person. It <laughs> so, to people all the time. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, okay. So to close though, I want to ask two things and I'm going to actually sort of force two questions into one and then a, a closing one. Uh, so the first one is sort of a combination of, uh, is there anyone else that you know of either past or currently that's really influencing you and inspiring you around thinking in these multidisciplinary ways? And, and I would love for you to use that opportunity to also mention your father, because <laughs> I feel like watching all of the stuff about his recent exhibition, it just made me go, oh, wow, you have like a lineage of people who taught you to think in this way, which is so cool. So that's question number one. So people that are inspiring me right now, I have to say, first of all, just, you know, people in my community and, and around me, um, especially coming out of, of Colorado um, in our little Denver community, there is such a, a, a great melting pot of minds that are still churning away. Um, Asia Dorsey, mm. obviously amazing mm-hmm. writer. Yes, my fermentation uh, mentor writer, creator, herbalist, botanist, mermaid, mermaid. so many titles, but just like (laughs) really, really also, I think, sinking into lots of juxtapositions of, um, of, of nature and, and society, um, and internalized, uh, contradictions and how do we like learn to, smooth the edges, smooth some edges and, and harden some others um, through our ways of knowledge building mm. um, and knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, Lithemia Montoya Cruz, great healer also. Yes, 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 um, yes, yes. Adam Brock always definitely has been an inspiration. Uh, yeah, he's already, he and he and Abra have already been recorded excellent. for an episode. A- and then. Yes, and I'm, I'm working yes. on getting Asia. <laughs> and uh, Utimio will eventually be Excellent. asked as well. <laughs> You're right. There is such a, a wide uh, swath of people here locally. That yeah, are doing it's this juicy. Kind of work. When my time there was so juicy, full of of juicy minds and thought 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 thinkers, <laughs> thought thinkers and feelers. Uh, but then yeah. also in in out in the world, the people I haven't actually met, but I hope to one day that I read and follow their work um, obsessively. I would say um, one is Bio Akomolafe, 
Um, he mm-hmm. is a Nigerian uh, scholar, thinker, philosopher, I would say, um, who mm-hmm. came out of, uh, also has a academic background, I think in psychology or, or medicine, um, and then and now also has gotten into the world of kind of like social social ecology um, and thinking about how mm. systems of thinking and change making are connected with with natural patterns um, and storytelling in ancient mm. traditions um, and our experiences. Uh-huh. So and he always brings up like really lovely, uh, he's a lyricist and a poet. So it, it, the love contradiction, it, the way that he dances with contradictions um, are are juicy and um, so delicious. And and then Donna mm-hmm. Haraway is one of my my great favorites. I was just thinking about her on a hike uh, today about the the Cthulhu scene and um, uh, making kin and staying with the trouble. That that was a phrase and a book mm-hmm. that she wrote that really has has stuck with me since I moved back to New York City. It was moving back to New York City for me was like such a struggle because again it was like coming back into what I what I saw was like the heart of like neoliberalism and like consumer capitalist uh hellscape (laughs) (laughs) but you know I was I was born and bred there so I I had to refined refined the 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 tenderness within it and like it it the the natural rhythms of that place and and find a the capacity to hold it as as also mm-hmm. as also beautiful and perfect and imperfectly yeah um made mm-hmm. in those ways and yeah so that phrase staying with the trouble it really helped me get through has got helped me get through many times um that there's almost you know that there's there's tenderness that there's a juiciness that there is a um intimacy there's intimacy available everywhere in in all of these experiences that we can you know find find a way to to connect with also definitely you know, so much of, of my work is, is the next evolution of my parents' work, I would say, you know, that Mm. I'm, I'm, and my dad even says it too, that I'm, I'm like, you know, his, his, his iterative next, next level uh, version (laughs) 2.0. Ring up on a spiral. But I definitely have to give credit to, to both of my parents um, for, for, where where I am today so my dad is always playing with these ideas of you know as he as an artist as a photographer who has been documenting New York City for almost 60 years um he has always gone into these really deep philosophical questions of of what what is what is reality and then what is what are what are po- what are the positive forces and what are the negative forces that are always sort of dancing together that make this reality mm-hmm. and that 
is really connected to the science of photography in itself because it's based on this whole negative mm-hmm. process. There's also a positive mm-hmm. process, but as he will go, as he will wax poetically forever and ever about the history of photography, it was a big social battle um, and actually based in religion of like why they decided to go with the negative process instead of the positive process of, oh, of wow. developing photography and the technology. Mm-hmm. And as hard as I tried to get far away from photography and art, I suddenly found myself as an electrical engineer working in a photolithography lab and working with equipment in this photolithography lab that was basically had an exposing machine, which is like a opposite of what an enlarger is. It's making a tiny image instead of a big image on a paper and using photo sensitive uh, films, um, just like polymer gels instead of going on paper and putting it in developer and putting it in fixer and water and trying to get the images all right. And I, I was using it to build electronic structures and optical devices. Whereas, you know, these were the same kinds of scientific and artistic practices my dad would use to make images, photographic images. So I suddenly realized that, yes, I, I couldn't escape the cycle. I was deep in it. And I definitely, from my mother, get all of my more intuitive practices of, of mm. learning, learning. I like, I, I'm definitely a big um, kinetic learner or kinesthetic learner. Like I, I learn through mm-hmm. sensation mm. and embodiment um, and embodied learning is really big for me. And I think is, has really driven, again, this work of figuring out how to like tune into what feels right and Mm -hmm. trying and always seeking more meditative and mindfulness practices and tools because I, I need it to, to survive, to, to be to feel okay because I, I sense so many things. So I have to create these structures mm-hmm. and, and systems in order to hold all of the, the overstimulation that's like constantly coming at us at this, in this 21st century world. So mm-hmm. they, they have definitely helped. And my mom is a dancer. So that's why I mentioned like mm. a lot of the um, kinesthetic and the movement aspects of it so as as as, I think you started off by saying well you you started off in science and engineering but actually I started off in 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 art in the world of Mm. of 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 expression and exploring through more of these these intuitive senses and then but Mm. I I rejected that and then went I was like no I need to make money <laughs> and yeah. I need to be practical. And this world is like the chaotic, like upbringing of being living with two artists. Like I wanted to yeah. be sterilized. And then once I I made my way, I got to that point and was like, oh, this is terrible. This is boring. I need to go back. And how to, but then I was like, okay, maybe there's a way to bring all of this together. So that was like the beginning um, when I finally was like, 
had a reconciliation of these elements of myself um, after being yeah. an engineer and then getting back into theater and suddenly being like, there's got to be a way to do this, to learn mm. to learn simultaneously about our external world and our internal world and how do we transform, how can we transform both of them or learn to be with both of them in whatever yeah. way we can. Yeah, well, that's a really beautiful uh, place to wrap up. But I have one final question for you, which is, a question that you prompted us with in the social permaculture course that I'm going to, I've wanted to ask you, like... I've wanted to ask you for so long. Cause I, it was one of the best prompts I've ever experienced because when you asked it, you had us pair up with at the time, I think it was our first session. So these were all strangers, rel you know, relative strangers that were in session with us. And you asked us to pair up with someone that we didn't know. Yes. And then you asked us to answer a question, <laughs> which was, what question do you wish that people would ask you? Wow, that's a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm torturing you with it because you forced us to, to answer it. Hmm. I don't know. I as I'm asking myself this question, I'm like, what do I want to share? Right. What, what, mm -hmm. what is like in, in the depths that I've been like trying to, that I I've wanted to exclaim like from, from the rooftops mm -hmm. and it's hard to articulate what it is because it's more of a sensation um mm. it definitely has something well. to do with love mm. and I don't know I don't know what the question is but I feel like the answer is love <laughs> And mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it though, in a way that isn't cheesy, you know, but like in, you know, I think it has something to do like, and, and honestly, like, you know, this is a really personal thing, but like, I'm, I'm in this level, uh, in this space of, of, of exploring contradictions and holding complexity and learning how to have boundaries and step into the unknown and into the chaos. I am in a space of also trying to find intimacy again in, mm. in the world just in so many different ways, like different, different ways of intimacy that mm -hmm. we really feel that are not, not trained to think of as intimacy and different ways of loving that mm -hmm. we're not trained to associate with love. And mm -hmm. like, what are the different nuances of love what are the 
the different zones hmm. of love, the different frequencies of love, of intimacy, the different ways of expression. Hmm. I love, I feel there's like a poem forming somewhere in this that I'm thinking of. So I had an interview uh, with someone named Lincoln Carr uh, a while back, who is a quantum physicist and a poet. And he, in this class I audited of his that I talk about in that episode, we talk about uh, something, something he taught, which was uh, ways of thinking uh, that someone had done research on sort of uh, lists. Um, and I forget his name, but I'll link to it both in those show notes and here again, but just, yeah, had done research on different ways you can think. So thinking poetically, thinking logically, you know, that sort of thing. And recently I also came across sort of an article or maybe a video or something, and I'll try to dig this up as well, that was talking about um, different types of intelligences. So that like bees have a type of intelligence and trees have a type of intelligence and, you know, humans have a type of intelligence. And so I'm, I'm, I'm imagining sort of a similar list of like um, ways of intimacy, basically, mm-hmm. that, that I could see formed easily into a poem. But yeah, that there are, that the, going back to what you said earlier, you know, like these ideas of boundaries that we have put boundaries on what it means to be intimate, but what are the other ways of engaging of intimacy that we don't often really bring into our consciousness or into our lens. But I also think it's apropos that a person who's uh, sort of, I don't know if you call it a company or whatever, the sort of title you operate under is for love and science. So (laughs) you're, you're coming back to the brand. Yeah. So, so many projects that I, I work on and have built I think are are fueled by by this of challenge of wanting to bring love and science together. So mm-hmm. as I've named It's okay. Yeah, we're going to let the dogs bark in the background. So we're not going to edit it out. It's happening. You can continue. I'm not going to make you wait. <laughs> as I as I as I name my platform for love and science I don't even remember like what, how, I, I think it was just like in a moment of, of like existential passion. I was like, it's, it's for love <laughs> and science. Like I just, yeah, it's for love, man. It's, it's the, the fieriness of it. Um, but so yeah, for love and science is all about that exploration of, of the heart, the mind and all of the things in, be- in between. And many of these mm-hmm. projects. So the community sensor lab and working with researchers and scientists, scientists and youth and community members, like how, how do we bring these, start to blur these lines, bring these, these, these people together, um, um, break down the boundaries that exist uh, between, between our own hearts and minds. And is there anything else I should talk about about what I'm doing right now? <laughs> Starting for life. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally good. We've been at this for a while, so <laughs> we could go on about love yeah. for a minute, <laughs> but it'll just get less and less coherent. So, yeah. Was um, there something in the last question that I 
hit all the I think you'd answer it. I mean, just the what question do you wish people would oh, ask yeah. you? That oh. there's something there's something for you in your work about love, I guess. Yeah. But self-explanatory just love <laughs> yeah self self-explanatory okay well thank you so much for the generosity of your time and your brilliance and uh just continually being someone that offers these sorts of uh spaces where people can hold all of their complexity in the world thank you i hope uh you can craft that into something that's coherent <laughs> Well, listener, I think I did a pretty decent job of turning that into something that was coherent. Honestly, I don't think it's hard. Kendra has such an incredibly beautiful mind and way of looking at the world. So thanks for being here to listen to our two minds wander and wonder all over a cosmological map of thought. Also, good news, between the recording of this conversation and publishing it online, Asia Dorsey, who's my fermentation mentor and the one that Kendra mentions is one of her inspirations in holding complexity. We've now officially in, uh, done a recording of an interview together and I'll be putting that out in the coming weeks. Trust me, you're not gonna wanna miss it because it's on microbes plus spirituality, which was as amazing as it sounds. For now, you can find Kendra online at forloveandscience.com. She also wanted to point you to her YouTube channel and a song of hers called Catalyst which relates directly to topics in our conversation today. I've linked to it in the show notes, along with all of the other references that we mentioned uh, on my site, of course, at thisplusthat.com slash episodes. Thanks as always also to the team at Upfire Digital for the audio processing. You can find them online at upfiredigital.com. All of my music is by the in-house musicians at slip.stream. Find them online at that same address. And you can find me online at this plus that pod on Twitter and Instagram and at my site, of course, at this plus that.com. That's also where you can sign up for the, this plus that newsletter, where you'll get more behind the scenes related content and suggested reading from each episode, along with my biweekly essays. I just put up online today, a bunch of testimonials of very kind people who have given me feedback on getting my personal essays, which come in between weeks when I'm not currently releasing, you know, I only put out a podcast every other week and on the alternate weeks, I send out personal essays and people have been so kindly replying to me and telling me what those have meant to them. So thisplusthat.com is where you can sign up for that newsletter. And as always, if you haven't yet, please rate the show five stars on your favorite app. I also just saw something today that said that apparently when podcasters have been recommending to people that they go rate uh, and review their podcasts online, that apparently now because Apple can now be rated the Apple podcast app, I guess something about how people are now actually accidentally rating and reviewing the Apple podcast app instead of someone's actual podcast. So they just make it real confusing. But all I'm saying is if you would in any places possible and on any of your favorite listening devices on whatever platform that you listen on, if you would rate and review the show, it would be so kind and means so much to me. And of course, as always, tell your friends about it if they like mashing weird things together and talking about the nature of the universe and learning how to better hold complexity and nuance in ourselves and others. For now and until next time, thank you so much for being here. I hope you loved this conversation with Kendra and I'll talk to you later. <laughs>